Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You guys have no idea how glad I am to be in your presence this morning in the presence of the Lord. Amen. Man, you guys were worshiping for some people in our church. I felt it. I felt it. If you would open up your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, we're going to continue our series, Our Living Hope. Now, we know the answer to the question. If you don't, we're going to tell you. Our living hope is Jesus Christ. Amen? Yeah, that is our living hope. And we're going to talk about that. For, as you turn there for a quick roadmap, we're going to start in the first five verses of 1 Peter. Peter here. Now, Peter is a great example of how to live a godly life. And here he's talking, he's encouraging his friends, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has called us to be born again to a living hope. Look at your neighbor and say, living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Oh, Jesus, let's pray. Father, our hearts are bowed. We're in your presence. We know that we feel it, God. I pray that you would just continue to encourage, inspire. Let our hearts be an open book, Holy Spirit, as you write upon them. Guide and lead me, I pray, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And everyone says, amen, amen. amen. You may be seated. Go ahead and look at your neighbor and let them know that you're glad that they're here. Thank you so much from whatever device you're tuning in. We are glad that you're a part of this. What a celebration of worship we had. As we continue this series, of course, we go into Easter season where we celebrate the resurrection, which we know as Christianity, that's what it hinges on, that we love a Christ that lives, amen? Our God is not dead. He's alive forevermore. And if I shout and wave my hands, it makes it so much more dramatic. Yeah. I was praying for you guys. I was praying for several people in our church, and I normally don't do this, but we want to let the Simpson family and the Perry family, Christina and these different people that we know have been struggling, and I even hate to name names because then you inevitably leave someone out, but we know there's a pulse, amen? Our church has gone through some stuff, and today we're going to simply talk about this great hope that we have. We're going to start out by, by identifying and setting concrete that, that God foreknew what Christ was going to do, that we needed Him, that He knows. And then we're going to go on about the importance of hope. And in First Peter, Peter's talking to his friends that have been dispersed, the, the, as, as you know, if you've done research on 1 Peter, the, the, his, the, the disciples of Christ and the people who believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah is dispersed and they're everywhere. Persecution. Nero is leading the empire of Rome and he's doing horrible things and it's causing people to go everywhere. A modern way to look at this is what's happening with Vladimir Putin and Ukraine. The people could, if some people can't afford to go out to other places and start new lives, but the majority of them just fled and they have to start with what they have. Some have to stay and we see people in this same situation. So what we're talking about today is so incredibly important because I know that many of you guys have unrest and some unsettlement in your heart. Your heart's broken for neighbors and for friends and you're saying, God, you are still our living hope. And we, we believe it. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, the apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion of Pontus and Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, 
according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Aren't you glad he knows? In the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience, of, uh, the obedience to Jesus Christ for the sprinkling of his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And he's saying a couple very important things as we start. He's saying, listen, in the sanctification of the Spirit, that means we've been sealed by the Spirit, we've been consecrated, we've been separated by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter where you're at or what you're going through, if Christ is alive in your heart and you've said yes to the Holy Spirit, then he consecrates you, he separates you. Doesn't always look like protection, but he'll keep us. And to the obedience of Jesus Christ for the sprinkling of the blood, and that ultimately means we go where Christ says to go and we do what he says to do. But we know that we're kept as a promise that the sprinkle of blood, that we have salvation forever. But that very first part of verse two, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, you know, it's important for us to understand that our God knows. Sometimes situations and circumstances can arise, and really in two different ways. When situations and circumstances arise and they come out of nowhere, they can really, it can make it hard to hope, can it? Kind of rattles you and kind of shakes you. Oh, come on, it's just us here and the 4,000 people watching, okay? <laughs> it's just us here. But, but we know, and then long-term things, whenever you're dealing with things over years, it's just difficult. God, where are you? What are you doing now? I'm still going to believe, but my emotions are telling me something different. My mental state is telling me something different. And Peter is writing, listen, God knows where you're at. He already knew this. But it doesn't give us an excuse because we're not in a comfortable situation, because we're not in a situation that we know that we, get, we can lose hope. We keep our hope in Christ Jesus. And I wish some of our leaders across our country at times <laughs> would thank or have a little bit of foreknowledge before they speak. I'm glad I serve a God that knows. I was put together a compiled of a couple presidential quotes here of our presidents who have spoken before they really knew what was going on. So if I offend you, that's probably fine. I'm probably going to offend most of you, okay? So we're going to get the Democrats and Republicans here, okay? Whenever they began to mail out stimulus checks and they didn't think it was really that, or whenever as, as President Biden took over and they were still mailing out stimulus checks and he said this, he said, my expectation is that as the economy comes back, these companies will provide fair wages and safe work environments. And if they do, they will find plenty of workers. And we're all going to come out of this together and better than before, he said, and no one should be allowed to game the system. Now, if you know anything about current politics, there's help wanted signs everywhere. We went on a vacation a couple uh, last year, and from here to Florida was help wanted signs everybody, everywhere. And if you talk to many employers, you can't hardly get people to go to work. Yep. Yeah, they might show up on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, but they need Monday through Friday off. Friday through Monday, I guess, rather. <laughs> Either way, they need a lot of time off. No one will game the system, please. President Trump. I'll offend some of you guys. You remember whenever he was campaigning and he said this wonderful slogan, I alone can fix it. Really, Jesus? I didn't know that Jesus had hair like that. I thought he was from Middle East. And you can't hardly fix stuff when all you do is fire people. <laughs> you need a team. I'm not saying he didn't do good. Now, I'm not saying there's not some people I'd like to fire. My goodness. It's some of these dudes. Anyways, okay, I digress. 
And then you remember the health care change in our health care, the Obamacare. President Obama, for those Americans who already have health insurance, the only changes you will ever see under the law are new benefits, better protections from insurance company abuses, more value for every dollar you spend on health care. And the famous line, if you like your health plan, you can keep it. You don't have to change it, change a thing due to the new health care law. You guys remember that? People were paying three or $400 and it shot up to 1200 Yeah, you can keep the same health care plan if you can afford it. You know, there was all kinds of changes going on there. All these promises that were made. And many of our leaders don't always have the foreknowledge as they're making decisions. Now, we know that they're imperfect, but many times don't say it as though it is so if we don't really know. But we don't serve a God who doesn't have foreknowledge. We don't serve a God who is not, who doesn't know the future and we can see the prophecies in the Bible and here for the next couple minutes we're going to talk about the triumphal entry and then we're going to talk about the crucifixion and we're going to answer the question, is Christ the one that we should have looked for? Is Christ really our living hope? Now, there's no way you could do all the prophecies in this amount of time. You guys would hate me, okay? You guys would love Jesus and walk out of the church because we couldn't be here. Okay, you can't even do it on the triumphal entry or the crucifixion. But there are some things that we can solidify. There are some things that we can come up and say, yes, we know. So if you'd open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21, verse 7 through 11. And Jesus in, in the triumphal entry here, Jesus is, in, is going in Jerusalem and he's going to ride on the, 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 the fowl or the colt of a donkey. And, and he tells his disciples, he says, go out and get the donkey and get the colt of a donkey. And whenever the guy or the person asks you why you have need of them, just say, my master has needs of them, has need of them. And then they'll turn them over to you. And they did. And they brought the donkey, verse 7, and they brought the donkey and the colt and put, them, put their cloaks in. He sat on them. Most of the crowd spear, uh, spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna, son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And, and the Bible records that as the triumphal entry. Now, is the king, the Messiah that the Jews were looking for, the one that we need for the remission of our sins, for the forgiveness, is that how, they, is that how he should come in? I'm glad you asked that question. In that same passage, it actually quotes Zechariah 9 and 9, just above what I read. But I'm going to go ahead and read it. Zechariah 9 and 9, written hundreds of years before this happened. A prophecy. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. Hundreds of years it was prophesied how Jesus would enter in. Now this was the week of the Passover. So thousands and thousands, which was one of the great Jewish feasts, thousands and thousands of people lined the road. And they were saying, Hosanna, blessed be you. Or blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Now Hosanna just simply means, please save us. Hosanna to the highest, please save us because we know that you're the ultimate authority. We know that you're the one that we've looked for. And the same thing that happened. Now, he wasn't giving away door prizes. 
These people showed up on their own and began to do these works on their own. He didn't, he didn't hand out stuff or, or give things away. Instead, they were moved because it was prophesied because our God foreknows. And I want you to know that this situation that you're in, the heart situation or the mental situation or the physical situation or the financial situation, God knows. God knows. In Genesis 49, 10 and 11, I won't read, read it all, but we see where Jacob is talking to his sons and he gets down to his son of Judah. Now, we know that Judah, that King David came out of the line of Judah and Jesus came out of that lineage. And he says this, bringing this foal to the vine and his donkey colt to the choice vine. See, we see the donkey again, don't we? He was washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. And we see once again that it confirms a prophecy hundreds and hundreds of years before it happened because God foreknew that Jesus is our Messiah. He is the one that we've looked for. He is our living hope. Now, let's talk a little bit about the crucifixion as we continue. Matthew 27, verse 46 and we know that from the time that he came in on the triumphal entry, that he was before a kangaroo court, he was arrested, many things had happened, and now he's being crucified for our sin. He's being crucified so that we could be completely forgiven. Matthew 26, 27, 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama shabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was prophesied in Psalms 22 and 1 that the Messiah would say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? We know that it was prophesied. Isaiah 53 and 5 states this, But he, the Messiah, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. It talked about his piercings. It talked about the beating that he would take. And it talked about what it was for. And Jesus faced all of it, didn't he? He faced it all from the scourging, to the caning, to the crucifixion, to the shame that he bore. Matthew 27 and 35, this is during the crucifixion. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Prophesied in Psalms 22 and 16, for dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. Psalms 22 and 18, another prophetic statement. They divide my garments among them and my clothing, they cast lots. And it shows that Jesus, that God foreknew that this was planned from the beginning. He talked, so if you're looking and wondering, is Christ the Messiah? Let me clear that up for you. And if you already know, let me go ahead and encourage you even more that Jesus Christ is our living hope. He's the one that we've been looking for. He's the one that our heart so longs for. As David wrote, as a deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. He's the one. He's the one. And it's not just based off of a, a motion or feeling, but it's based off the scripture. Written hundreds and hundreds of years before by multiple people on multiple places. And Christ fulfilled them all. And we understand 
that we need that revelation in our hearts. I love the story of Thomas. Now, some may know him as Doubting Thomas. It was a name really affectionately given to him. But in John chapter 20, verses 27 and 28, I think that a little bit of Thomas is in all of us. Thomas is just wondering. He's asking questions, I think, that people think, but they're too scared to ask. Now, Peter's not. He probably just beat Peter to the punchline. <laughs> Peter's always opening his mouth. But he asked the famous line, Christ, how do we know the way? And that's when Jesus said his famous verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. Fast forward, Jesus is crucified, he's buried, he's resurrected. He appears to his disciples. Thomas is not there. And his disciples began, or the disciples begin to talk to Thomas and say, man, we saw Jesus, we saw him. And Thomas said, I won't believe. I won't believe until I touch his nail-pierced hands, until I put my hand in his side. And then we see in Scripture here, in verse 27 and 28, Jesus shows up again eight days after he showed up the first time. And he looks, and the first thing, you got to love Jesus, because he's not trying to stir up trouble, is he? The first thing that he does, he knows that people are going to be freaking out when you see a resurrected man. <laughs> you see the God of glory comes in, he walks in and he says, peace be with you. Isn't that, that's a great line. Yeah. I would need a little bit of peace if I saw something like that. Might need a new pair of britches. I don't know. <laughs> Just being honest. A little bit of peace. And then his t- attention focuses and he turns to Thomas and he says, Thomas, come here. I want you to touch my hands and I want you to touch my side. Yeah. And we see Thomas with this revelation. We see this, this, this so you see Thomas with this revelation that he hungered for, that he is really who he said he is. And we hunger for that. And when we go a little bit further and we read that it says, blessed is those who haven't seen, though. That's us. We just believe and we know. And we hang on to these scriptures and we know that Christ is our living hope, that he is the one we've been looking for. But my question is, why? Why do I need this living hope? And I think as Peter writes it, he helps us. The reason why we need Christ in our, in our life is because we just, now these are going to be simple. These are going to be simple, but we just need to live with hope. Have you ever felt like you, now be honest with me, have you ever felt like you were just in survival mode? Now, now see, some people want to down that. But if you've ever seen those survival shows, those cats got some skill. They can take a, take a stick and take some bird nest or something and make a fire. You know, eat a squirrel with a rock and, I mean, kill it. I guess you could eat a rock, but they kill a squirrel. They can do some crazy stuff. Sometimes we down it, but the reality is we've all been there when we've wanted just to survive. God, I'm hanging on here. I'm believing in you. And that's the reason why we need that great, great hope because we all face those times. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be, the, excuse me, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It doesn't say we've been born again on a different earth or a different planet. It's we're born again where we're at and we're still where we're at. That means we still have to deal with the nastiness of life. We still have to deal with the nastiness of the world. We still have to deal with broken hearts and broken emotions. We still have to deal with the questions of saying, God, why? 
We're not excused from that. Peter wasn't excused from being crucified upside down. And we hear things that we sung this morning, thank you, Waylon, and the worship team, that we're more than conquerors. For greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And if God be for us, who can be against us? But that means that there's an opposing force. It brings me to the backside of that, that if I need something inside of me that's greater than what's in the world, then that means I am facing something that can destroy me alone. And I've got to have something in me. So I look inside of me. You look inside of you, not as the world looks inside, but we look inside because we say, Savior, I know that you're there and you're my living hope. And sometimes we just survive. And, and I want to take some pressure off of you. We've all been there. Now, how do we survive? I think instead of quoting some great preacher or going through these five, ten things of leadership, I, I want to look to the Apostle John. Why would I look to the Apostle John? First of all, he's an apostle, <laughs> pretty smart, wrote a couple books, knows his stuff, dipped in boiling tar, wasn't excused from the things of life and persecution, put on the island of Patmos, which is basically a sheer rock cliff, very little vegetation as the waves beat the side of it with criminals and crazy people. How would you like that? And then you emerge with Revelation. <laughs> the book of Revelation, not, okay, never mind. Some of, some of us got that. That was a bad joke. Okay. But John here teaches us some things. If, if you want to look in your Bible, 1 John chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. And I'm going to take you really quickly. I'm not going to read it here. But John teaches us some things. He teaches us some things here. And the first thing that we have to do if we're going to make it and we're going to survive like we need to, we need to separate ourselves. We need to separate ourselves. We are different from the world. When the Susan B. Anthony $1 coin was out, it was more, than a, more of a nuisance than anything. And the reason why is because it was only as big as a quarter. So people would get it confused with a quarter. And people didn't like that. So they'd have a dollar in their pocket and they'd think it was a quarter. Well, listen, as Christians, whenever we don't separate ourselves from the world and we look like the world, we don't do anybody any good. We become a nuisance. It's whenever we separate ourselves that God can really use us, that we're consecrated unto him. We go on and we say, listen, we have to, he says, listen, you have to labor to understand Christ. Listen, we have to go after Christ and say, open up my mind and open up my heart. And then as we learn more about Christ, we must live in him. We need to abide in him. We need to go after him and seek him. God, this is where I'm going to park my family, in your word and in you. You are my living hope. I have to live in Christ. And I love the final line of this. And 1 John chapter 5 verse or 1 John chapter 5 and verse 21 it, the very last verse says this and guard your guard yourself against idols. If you're going to survive in the word we got to separate, we got to labor to understand Christ, we got to live in Christ and we absolutely have to guard ourselves against idols. There's so many things in our life that pull at us in there. The world sends so many things that look very very appetizing but it's like a caramel covered onion. It looks good, but once you sink your teeth into it, you got something you didn't bargain for. And here he's saying, listen, you got to guard yourself against idols. There's so many things that's pulling at us. And anything that sets itself up that takes us off of the mission of God or belittles the mission of God for our life can and will become an idol. We have to throw that at the feet of Christ and say, no, take it. Because life will swallow us up. It's whenever we retreat and we go after God and we meet him one-on-one. -on -one. I was thinking of the song in the garden. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. 
And the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. Now sing it with me. And he... And he tells... And the joy we share. See, that doesn't make sense to people that haven't been in survival mode. And if you haven't been in survival mode, we're going to give you a pass because trust me, it's coming to you. Hadn't hit you yet, but it will. And there's something to be said about that survival mode. There's something to be said whenever we say, God, I got to get up early and get in the garden. I got to go to that place where you walk with me and you talk with me. It's that place of loneliness sometimes. It's that place of survival where we go and we're not meant to stay there. But it's that place that we go and we do when others don't. We're awake when others are asleep. We keep working when others quit. Oh, that place of survival is whenever we go into our prayer room and we really don't want to talk to God, but we do it anyways. We, we go into our prayer room and we ask when we really don't want to know the answer. Hey, have you ever been in there? God, I really don't want to know the answer to this because I'm emotionally fatigued. I'm spiritually fatigued. I don't know if I can handle it anymore. You guys have been there. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. And we got to get to that place that God reminds us that we belong to him, that he is our living hope. That place that doesn't make sense to anybody else who hasn't been in survival mode. It's that place where your heart breaks for your friend and there's really nothing you can do. Your heart breaks for a family member and you know what they need is the living hope, Jesus Christ. But they seem to push it away so often. You're going through something and you know Christ is the only one that can help you. What do we do? We go to that place where he walks with us and he talks with us. Psalms 118. And many of you guys understand this psalmist. Oh, I shall live and I will recount the deeds of the Lord. We go back to that place and we say, God, I'm going to recount it. I know you're doing great things. I know what you're doing Good news is Peter doesn't stop there because it's not just enough to survive. We also have to thrive. We want to thrive in hope. Hope causes us to thrive. Hope causes us to thrive. Sometimes we just need a little touch from God. Sometimes we need God to try to help us. Callie and I went on a fishing journey the other day. It was just, we went to um, Lake Clear Creek and we went to Lake Humphreys. Uh, Mary gave us permission to go fishing. So guess what I did? I took it. I think she meant a three-hour trip and it turned into a five-and-a-half-hour trip. I think if I would have had some groceries and a little bit heavier jacket for Callie, we might have camped out, man. She wasn't ready to go. We were catching fish. When the north winds start blowing and that water starts splashing up against those rocks, the sand bass come in and they start feeding. We went to Clear Creek and it was the easiest fish I'd ever caught in my life. I'm walking along the rocks and I look down and that sand bass was going after those fish so much that I guess it got caught up and those waves took it over and smashed it into a rock and jammed it in between two rocks. Yeah, so I looked at it and I thought, this is easy. 
So I picked it up. Did you throw it back in the lake? No, I put that dude in my basket. I'm going to eat it. Thank you, Jesus. Hey, all I needed was some bread and we'd have some fish and loaves, man. <laughs> I'll take it. But that fish, I looked dead because it was stuck. It wasn't thriving. It was just surviving. And then I reached down and touched it and that dude went crazy. And of course, you know, my daughter, catch it, dad. Like I'm trying. I want to get finned. I reached down and caught it and put it in the basket. And I was thinking about our life. Sometimes life can come at you fast and the waves pushes you into the rocks and you're only surviving and what we need is we need to touch from our living hope. And just like I reached down and touched that fish and scared it and brought it back to life, sometimes I just need a touch from my creator because I don't think I can make it. But he reminds me we're not only to survive, we're to thrive in hope. That hope consumes us. And we get back doing to what we need to be doing. Jesus is talking to a rich young ruler in Luke chapter 18. And the rich young ruler goes away because he's not willing to lay down his stuff before God. And Christ says this. He says, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers, parents, children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this same time and in the age to come. And God has shown us something that it's not just everything's not on the heaven side, is it? He means for us to thrive and live in hope here. He means for us to be putting some rewards back in heaven and it's hard to do that without some kind of substance. It's hard to do that when, you're, when your emotional bank is running on empty, when your physical bank is running on empty, when your energy bank is running on empty. And we need that hope. And Christ says you're here to thrive. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. And what is he saying? These things that we put in heaven that no, nothing can take them away. No person, no thing can take them away. And we, he wants us to do it. But in order to do that, we have to be willing to say, I want to thrive here on earth. I want to thrive imperishable, undefiled, unfading. In Romans chapter 15, verse 13, Paul is trying to convince Christians and Jews that Christ is their living hope. And he says, may the God of hope fill, your, fill you with joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. He wants us to thrive in hope. He wants it to permeate our life and our speech and our relationships. People, things are going wrong in our life and people look at our life and say, how in the world can you still have hope? And you say, because of Christ, the living hope lives inside of me and it's going to abound. I'm going to dig. I don't have to stay in that place of survival only. I can thrive. And finally, Peter here helps us out that we have a lasting hope. We need the great hope. We need Jesus Christ, our living hope, because it's a lasting hope. Verse 5, 1 Peter chapter 1, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And what is he saying? We have hope that there's a certainty of eternal fellowship with Christ. That what we're doing on earth is, is really celebration for what we're going to get to experience in heaven that what we're setting aside and throwing at the feet of Christ and saying, God, I know you're a rewarder of those who diligently seek you, that the hope that I have here lasts longer than I can imagine into eternity, that I will have eternal fellowship with you, 
that I'll get that mansion that you promised in the word. I will see those streets of gold. I will see the crystal seas. I will see those things that is expressed in your word. And I will live in a place where there will be no crying. There will be no tears. Christ, I will worship you all the time because it's a hope that lasts. Here at Ray of Hope, I don't think there's been one week this last year that we haven't done a funeral. Some in the building, some outside of the building. And we know that people are sick and they're hurting and we care about them so much, don't we? And I really mean that. When I heard you guys worshiping this morning, I was thinking we're worshiping for more than just ourselves this morning. God, we're raising our hands for some people that might not be able to right now. We're lifting our voices for some people that find it hard to be able to do that. God, we're going to call you into their life and ask you to continue to move and show your grace and your mercy because it's a hope that lasts. See, it's not just only about us, but it's about those ones who have gone before, amen. Those ones that we hope to see that when we pass through the pearly gates, we, we set eye to eye with them and we realize that they made it too. And this thing that our heart is so longed for to share in heaven with people that we love can only be given by our living hope, Jesus Christ, and through his resurrection. Because it's a hope that lasts. This is where I'll land the plane this morning. Romans 8, 38 through 39. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor present things, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ, from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. As Paul pins that to the Romans, it can be scary sometimes, can it? We can wonder sometimes, God, did you really know? And the answer is yes, he really knew. And our hearts are bowed before him saying, God, I need to feel that love again. Stir that hope inside of me. Stir that hope that strengthens me. Stir that hope that can only come from my living hope. And I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know everything that's going on. Of course, we know some things. But I know that Christ has plenty of hope to give you. He has hope to get you through what you're getting through. And some of us have all been there where we just survive. And, and God, I just feel emotionally fatigued. I'm done, I'm, I'm spent. Now, I'm not gonna quit believing in you. I just don't know what else to do. And we've all been there. The relationship broke me. The payments broke me. Something else broke me, God, and I'm just here. But there's also that place that God infuses us and we realize that it is time to move on, that we no longer just survive, but we thrive in that hope. And then ultimately, we know that we can have that hope that lasts. But it all starts with our living hope, Jesus Christ, and saying, Christ, come into my heart. Your resurrection gave me opportunity. Your death on the cross, your triumphal entry, your life is proof that you're the Messiah that we've been looking for. You're what my heart longs for. But it's not just enough to long, we have to open up our arms and receive, don't we? But Christian, you have to receive that hope. Right now, you're just saying, I'm not strong enough. I don't know if I can do it. Hey, we've all been there. It's not a sign of pride. Just open up your arms and say, God, give me more hope. 
God, I'm tired of surviving. Or God, I, I know that I've been thriving, but there's some stuff that's been happening. God, give me revelation of that hope that lasts forever. And he'll speak to you. He'll encourage your heart. Would you bow with me? We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory and hope changes everything.